Blog Talk Radio. Powerade 
Zero. <laughs> Lots going on in the world of sports this week. Lots going on. So I'm looking forward Ooh, to chatting about it. Lots going on. You know, we ole, 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 ole. I believe that we will win. We're going to be talking about the World Cup. We're going to get into a little bit of that. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to explore. I'm a sports facility. You know, this this is, you know, emerging national scholar. So I think you might have a perspective on this. But has the game reached the hood yet? We just want to know why it hasn't reached the hood, you know. And, and will this World Cup help with, you know, uh, the momentum that many folks have been hoping happens with soccer in this country. So we'll spend some time with that. The NBA draft is coming up Thursday night. This is, you know, it's almost like the NBA is beginning to take on the life of the NFL. You know, the NFL season is now 20, 12 months a year. It's always a story, always something. It feels like lately the NBA is beginning to go into that where their off season is is as interesting as their playoffs have been in recent years. So we spend a little time on the NBA draft and kind of get a sense of, you know, what's happening there. Um, we're going to work through that. Free agency, you know, there's a lot going on. Some key players have opted out this week. It's up in the air. You know, we, one thing we do know, we're not going to have the decision. We're going we're gonna to have a decision, but we're not going to have all the problem circumstance, but it's going to make it real interesting here yeah. today. And then, you know, we got emerging stuff in the news. We're going to just, you know, just things that have been happening that we, we might hit with that. And then um, we always have, you know, uh, real, uh, the uh, Resistance Digital Solution Dog of the Week, and uh, we'll get into uh, to that as well. And then the last word, we, this week we might mix the last word a little bit. This might be a remix. Usually one of us takes the last word. You know, we might, you know, because one of those type of evenings, we both might ease that one out with rather – you know, we might go back and forth the last. We're kind of flip a little bit since there's two of us. We're on the break, and, you know, we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to have an Iverson complex. We want to give it up on the break. And so we might not hold the ball at the end of this one like we normally do when we have three of us. When we have a big three. Um, but but it's going to be a great night. Uh, come with us. Uh, you know, follow us. Uh, you can get uh, connect with us on Twitter on realsportsguys.com. Just click if you want to follow us on Twitter or or Facebook. Um, we got some interesting folks. We have folks even offering to, they want to be part of the movement. They want to get a show on here. I like that. I like that. It means that we're, we're touching some folks. Um, we have some interesting dialogue. So it doesn't just stop to, uh, with our podcast. Come on back. Hit us up on Twitter. We're trying to get PhD into the Twitter world, but, you know, he's, he's writing quality <laughs> journals. He, he don't have time for tweeting right now. We're getting, we're getting after the PhD to do that. Um, but I don't like don't don't don don. I don't like don 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 don. I don't like tweet tweet tweet. I don't like it. <laughs> so tell me why you don't like it, man. Uh, I don't have any good reason. I just I just never tried it. I mean, once I do, I mean, I was like two or three years late to the Facebook party. Now I got like a thousand friends. So Facebook <laughs> friends, that is. So so we we can we can move it over to the, the tweet. You can be short and brief to the moment. See, you don't have to get into these long dialogues. You like. Hit them with hit them with something crisp. You know, you writing, you know, you writing all these journals and do this. Like you understand about being concise with your point. So it might work for you. It might work for you. But it's the World Cup. The U.S. had its biggest audience watching the game. It's getting bigger. We got we're filling up places like 
you know, parks in Chicago, Grand Park and New York. They're trying to get the movement. We're going to spend some time on the fucking Ontario, so, you know, you know how we do it. one thing we need to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody want to get funky one more time. Like I started out, I believe that we can win. I believe that we can win. I love it. I, and my energy, there's something about this World Cup. I don't know what it is. It, I, you know, um, there's a lot going on, but it's interesting. This is the one game. I actually listened to it on the radio, and it's one of these sports that I actually enjoyed as much or more listened on the radio as I did <sighs> Uh, watching in person, and part of it is, I mean, part one of the things I think is very difficult for Americans watching soccer. One of the big things they complain about is it is zero, but the game is not over. So that, that's a hard <laughs> concept for Americans to understand because zero creates so many dramatic moments in the sports that folks are knowing that it's going to end or it's the last out, but. But when it when there's no defining point that you know is going to end, that's very difficult for Americans to understand. And who decides how much time and that stuff that goes on? The other thing is that um, there's action, but we don't understand the action because there's not an end point. It's like 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 on a break, there's action. They might be turn over the ball, but at some point somebody's going to knock down a three, hit a dunk, you know. Or in football, you know, you might get a breakaway and. He goes for a touchdown, even though, you know, we've had our share of three-nothing games that were great in football, American football. But there's something about it. But as I started listening to it on the radio, I was like, every movement, they were excited. You know, they, they soccer might have some of the most exciting commentators and play-by-play people, you know, out there. If you really start to listen, the way that they're very honest <laughs> about the play, like they don't mix any words. And so some of that makes you laugh. Um, but I just have been engaged in it. Phil, you know, you're a very busy guy. But how, how have you felt about this World Cup season, um, just in general? I've enjoyed it. I don't know much about the game of soccer, but I've been watching it quite a bit with people who do know quite a bit about the game of soccer. And I get this feeling you know, it's it's almost like the big high school football game, the crosstown rivals, you know, mm-hmm. where everybody gets together at the restaurant, the Applebee's or the bar before the game or after the game, and there's just a certain type of energy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in an environment, academic environment, where, um, you know, the people I work with, you know, being an American, I'm actually a minority. So it's cool to, to just see the the international and the country pride, um, you know, when their countries are playing and, you know, that it's just a certain type of energy around it. And it's, to me, it's, it's added value to what soccer is about because in my book, soccer is behind football, like in terms of my personal preferences, football, basketball, baseball, you know, and, and as you guys know, I've been fought, like I've been, getting hooked up with hockey in the last couple of months. So um, I, I'm always amazed with how, um, like, the physical shape these guys are in to play soccer. Uh, I, I remember in high school and, and even college in terms of, you know, soccer was typically a fall sport like football. 
we'd be crying or, you know, complaining about having to run a mile, you know, for conditioning the first week or two a days. And then we'd be upset about having to do wind sprints. And then you see these guys running four or five miles, you know, after or before each practice. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just a different level of intensity and a different level of physical um, endurance that they, like, like you have to have to be successful in soccer. So being at the age I'm at now, <laughs> just watching it and, you know, from a from a from a fan's perspective, too, it's kind of cool that there aren't any timeouts typically. Yeah. You know, 45 minutes each half, it goes, I mean, it goes pretty fast. You don't have any commercial interruptions. There are minimal substitutions. Um, so you kind of can really, really follow the game, and you don't have a lot of time to be messing around on your computer or your cell phone or, you know, taking breaks. I mean, you have to watch it live because if you are attached to any type of Internet or social media, whenever there's a goal, you're going to hear about it. So I really enjoyed it. I watched um, – I don't get me going with these games, but I watched games on Saturday, uh, and I watched the U.S. – I watched the entire U.S. match on Sunday. And, oh, man, I mean, I went – like, I – I really got into a design, and yeah. I couldn't believe what I saw when, yeah. you know, Portugal tied it up with just a few seconds left. And all of the great. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I call him the Carmelo Anthony of soccer. Great offense. He's a, he's a, he's a um, what, what did I say he, uh, on Twitter? I, I said he's a selective defensive player. <laughs> Where he all <laughs> on the offense is. And you like they bottled him up for all that time, and on the last possession, he became great. Oh, and it hurt. That's what I knew I was hooked because it hurt. It almost hurt like the Steelers lose it. I was like, what the what just happened? You can see the dejection on their face. Oh, it was painful. Uh, and I'm thinking, why am I feeling this way? Uh, I, I just it was, but it was a great play. Uh, I was just yeah. like, oh my goodness, it was it was a great play. I used to hear some interesting things. One of the things I noticed here that's different than the rest of the world that soccer belongs to the masses, poor for the poor. Here it just seemed like it's taking on an elitist. Like it's a, it's a measure of sophistication. <laughs> like the so people who are going are. Have this level of if you don't go, you're not sophisticated. You're not drinking the right kind of wine and everything else. Versus when you see other people, it's the hooligans, it's the it's the masses, the folks in the streets, and they can see somebody from their neighborhood or their village or their place actually playing on on the pitch. Is that what they call it? On the pitch, right? So, you know, part of what I'm trying to get rationalized, I put this a question. I was like, why? It's a ball. Right, you know, you and I grew up. You know, you could figure out how to create a game out of anywhere. You know, you find a park that you know, put your bases down, create a field, whatever. Soccer seems like that same kind of game. All you need is a ball or a round shaped object, create something. You could do that. And why hasn't it found its way to the hood? Whereas you can see some of the best players in the world, they didn't come from affluence. They came in the same way that some of our best basketball players come, some of the toughest places. You know, on the on the bricks of New Jersey, you know, Detroit, whatever. 
why hasn't this game caught in those places? Because the options of getting out, in some ways, the opportunity to make money, maybe not at the highest level, but even here in the States, there's probably more opportunities to make decent money in soccer because it's played all over the world. So even if you're not playing at the top level, you can still make forty, fifty thousand dollars have your stipe, living stipe and everything taken care of. Why hasn't why hasn't it taken it reached the hood? I don't know. I I recall us talking about this four years ago. Yeah. And I recall us talking about this a couple of years ago at the Olympics. I don't know. Um with baseball, you can use the excuse of, um, you know, you have to have so many people together to be organized, and, you know, uh, typically there's more resources required for baseball. I, I think in sports such as baseball, golf, um, and, and, again, I'm not, I want to say soccer, but I'm not, not, I really don't have the understanding of soccer quite yet to, to make this statement, but I'll make mm-hmm. it anyway. You know, baseball and and golf and certain sports where technical um, uh, ability is very, very important, it's tough to pick up that game when you're 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Whereas with football, um, I think there's it's more of a raw and brute sport with a lot of different positions um, that it's easier for a kid to pick it up later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with soccer, perhaps, and and I know this is the case with, with golf, I know this is the case with baseball, if you aren't engaged in that culture, you know, by 8, 9, 10, certainly 11 years old, you have a whole lot of catching up to do. And most kids, I mean, there's always exceptions, but most kids just will be behind the eight ball, even if they have as much athletic ability as somebody else who's been playing it for four or five years if they were to start at 15. And I think perhaps soccer is kind of like that too. If you don't get started with it early, there's just so much technique and strategy with it that it's tough to pick it up, you know, late. Why people aren't picking it up earlier, you know, uh, in terms of urban areas, I think it's the same reason why baseball is kind of – went away in a lot of urban areas. I mean, you look at what Major League Baseball is doing with RBA, RBI, revitalizing baseball in inner city. Um, it's helping, but, you know, when you and I were growing up, it was normal to be playing Little League Baseball. I mean, mm-hmm. it was very, very normal. Um, even though, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, typically I was one of two or three African Americans on my team, you know, all the way through high school. Um, but there still was a presence there. And for me, there was a presence because my older brother played, who's seven or eight years older than me, and it was big for him because, you know, our uncles played. And if you look at Major League Baseball, you know, at one point, African Americans were the top minority in baseball. That's that's no longer the case um, mm-hmm. with, you know, players coming from Latin American countries and less African Americans playing baseball. Um, you know, I think what's happening in the World Cup, though, Maybe, I mean, even looking at our team, there are, um, you know, I believe at least three or four players um, of some kind of, you know, uh, black background, um, African mm-hmm. descent. So, and, and I believe that's more than we had a few years ago. So perhaps there is more of a growth happening. Um, it's just mm-hmm. happening slower. 
and I, I think you hit on some. I mean, I think you hit on some really good points around, you know, around you know, just access, and and I, and I think it's beginning to drive down. It's one of those interesting things that you know, if you catch some young kids, even going to, you know, Seattle or Kansas City to watch a game and seeing the crowds. I mean, they're drawing. I think in Seattle they draw like forty thousand. You know, and sometimes you got to put people in that atmosphere um, as part of it. And I think U.S. soccer has to really drive down into some of these spaces um, to get it. I think, you know, you get your first person that comes out of one of these environments that's successful, you know, that you can market not only here, but, you know, if you're a soccer star, you're a global star, you know. Ronaldo and these folks are just, they go everywhere and they're known in much bigger sense than even some of our, you know, more, more sense than our football. You know, NFL is popular here. Globally, you know, if you're a soccer star, you, you can, the, the the marketing, the merchandising, the branding, right. all those options. And I think there needs to be a, a greater education around, you know, what what uh, those opportunities are. But it would be just interesting to see, you know, a first star that, you know, came out of those circumstances you know, multiple stars coming out of those circumstances, you know, and whether maybe it's it's an initiative through the Boys and Girls Club, maybe they have much more of an aggressive where they're 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 tapped into some of these communities and can do some more organized things. But it's just it's just an interesting thing, you know, obviously we'll 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 watch it, you know, uh we have you know USA has to at least tie or win. Uh they could lose but uh you know you don't want to risk that and they still win under differential. But um, it was an amazing game. It was hot. I think they had the first time out in World Cup history in that game because of the heat and the uh, humidity. Um, so it's back to your point about, you know, just, you know, now it's a grueling sport, you know, and it's physical. It's more physical. I mean, it's funny. People talk about football, but you watch the way, you know, there's no hardly any padding. When they're banging and hitting each other and, right. and catching, bumming up with, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, it's a physical sport that how many people see as I don't think people understand how physical it is. So we're going to do more of that. We're going to check out the soccer. We're going to check it out. You listen to real sports guys, real That was the funky editorial there brought by, uh, brought to you by um, uh, uh, on the rocks. Uh, check out our guy, Craig. Uh, when you see him here in Rockford, uh, you can get to them on real Just click on, their symbol for On the Rocks. It'll take you right to their information. Great people. They've been supporting us along with our other sponsors. Uh, we're loving it. We're going to move into some NBA talk. And, you know, we told you all this is like we in the, we're in the lounge because there's two of us. So, we, we you know, we might let this marinate a little bit. We might have to study it, you know, because things are changing all the time. We might pause for a minute to think. A little bit. We can do that when there's only two of us. Now, we're not going to try and have too much dead air when we do that. But we don't let it unfold. We're not like these other big media outlets. We can do that. We're not up against the clock. You know, maybe at some point in our evolution of real sports guys, we might be. If we do, just let us know we're too Hollywood. We're too Hollywood, and we'll, 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 we'll know that we need to get back <laughs> to the streets. Uh, but at this point in our evolution, we can, we can do this. So you get the best of us on this. So you don't let it breathe. And so this NBA stuff, it's, 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 it's interesting. And 
know, normally we'd have a game changer here to tell us what the streets are saying. You know, he, you know, he is. If I would put him up against Stephen A. Smith. I would put him up against anybody you have out there. Tim Legler. I put him up there against. You know, game changer. You know, he normally has his ears to the street. Now we're not too far behind him. Don't think that Phil T and I can't hold our own. Uh, we still killing him on those wind shares. You know, sometimes it's just foolishness. <laughs> uh, he probably would judge the draft on wind shares. You know, sometimes it's about dog. It's about leadership. It's about all these other intangibles. It's about building up the other person that is getting the wind shares. And so when we look at this draft, you know, it's about putting together a team. And we've had some injuries. And we had some, you know, not only – Injuries, we have injuries have taken folks out of the draft permanently out of, in terms of career stuff we'll, we'll probably get into a little bit. We have Embiid, uh, who is, uh, 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 is uh, injured and might affect Joel, uh, might affect his draft. So we got a lot of moving parts. So we're going to just start with a general thing. I'm, I'm going to hit Phil, and I'm going to come back in and, and do this. You know, Cleveland's on the clock, Right. When you think about what's going on, if you're Cleveland, Phil, how do you go? Now, you're you in Cleveland, so you really got your ear to the street. What do people talk about? Uh, there's a growing sentiment. Just don't mess it up. Again. <laughs> Just don't mess it up. Ooh. Again. Again. You said – you didn't just say just don't mess it up. You said – just don't mess it up again. There's a feel that Anthony. When I think of, you know, I was just in the barber shop earlier today. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this. You talk about Anthony Bennett, and it almost got the feel of, say, you're in your fantasy football draft or your fantasy basketball mm-hmm. draft, and the person before you takes the player that you were going to take. And so now that 90 seconds, you're scrambling, figuring out what to do. Mm-hmm. And with three seconds left, you just pick something. <laughs> that's the feeling that I got with Anthony Bennett last year. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's not the case. I mean, you, know, you have front offices that, that have huge budgets, so clearly it was a more thoughtful decision than that. Mm-hmm. But the Cavs just can't get it wrong. Again, and mm-hmm. if you look at since LeBron James, they they, I believe this is the fourth overall number one pick that they've had mm-hmm. um, with with Ky, with with LeBron and Kyrie Irving. Those are mm-hmm. both home runs. Um, Bennett, that was not a home run. And so now. I think there's a thought of going with the safer pick, which mm-hmm. would be Jabari Parker. Mm-hmm. Although all these comments are coming out of his most recent workout, I don't know how that's going to go, but I'd like to see him take Parker. I think he's the safest bet. Mm-hmm. I think he fits in really well with Ky- Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. um, and especially with the big guy from Kansas, Embiid you know, having broken his foot and then having reoccurring back issues. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can take the risk with him or or with a project like Wiggins. I think that the Cavs 
they want to win now. They do. Mm-hmm. And they want to be in a position that they so that they don't lose Irving. So they need somebody to contribute right now. I think that guy is Parker. The second option, I think, is which is realistic for the Cavs, is a trade down. I think that's a, a, a very big possibility for them, which I think would be mm-hmm. acceptable. And I'm looking at that. I like your last option because more of it is, if you're not going to take Parker, because I do think they need somebody, first of all, they need somebody who is professional. So not only great, but their their approach to the game is great. And, and I and as I watched Parker grow throughout the season, take on much more control in terms of on both ends of the court, inserting his presence in the game over the course of the season, you know, taking the coaching from Coach K. Um, I think he brings something to them, not only a great player, but a maturity. So if they don't take – and I think in certain organizations, if you can get a young player who's great and mature, you know, I'm not saying he's like the Duncan coming, but I, I think he's in that – he feels like he's in that space, right? He's that person I think can be great and be okay with being in Cleveland, right, in a sense. If you put a good organization around him, he understands – it feels like he understands the importance of continuity, you know. Um, and so I believe – but if you don't – you, so you can go that route. I agree with you. You trade down. I'm not a Wiggins fan, and part of it is just what you said. I mean, I think they can't. He got he got he got he got a high ceiling, but he also got it could be a question mark. And when you already got these young guys, so you know, if I'm them, I'm with you. I would trade down. I think there's value all the way through. You know, um, if, you know, if there's somebody down here who wants to trade up to get one of them, you know, you could trade down, to, you know, you could trade down to four or whatever and still end up with a good player or trade down. You know, you still can trade down and end up with a decent player. So I think you're right around the, the idea of trading down. Um, injuries, you have Embiid and injured, things like that. You think about how that's changing the draft and, and things like that. If you're drafting him, where are you drafting him? You know, is he someone that, you know, you could still draft, you know, in the top seven, top eight? You know, how are you, how are you feeling about that when you in hearing that? You know, I'm, from what I'm hearing, I'm thinking because they decided to do the screws, it's the healing, which they didn't do initially um, with some of the other cases that this happened with, that his recovery because he's young could be pretty solid. Where do you draft him? Now, he's not going to drop out of the lottery, I don't think, but where do you think he's going to go given now he has his injury? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I <laughs> We might have an Aaron Rodgers situation. You think so? That's what I'm feeling. I was hoping that. <laughs> I, mean, I think he's made a decision not to attend the draft, which I think is smart. Um, yes. Yeah. But but I could see him falling to a team. Like I mean, for example, many teams are in a position where they want to win right away. So, for mm-hmm. example, the Lakers. The Lakers have the seventh pick right now. They're not going to want to take them because when you have Kobe Bryant and when there's an expectation that something big is going to happen here in the offseason in terms of a free agent acquisition or perhaps a trade, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking to win right now, so you need somebody to contribute right now. Kobe's not going to be happy with a guy. <laughs> Remember what he said about Andrew Bynum a few years ago yeah. when Andrew Bynum was still delivering, uh, developing. The same thing with the 76ers. I mean, the 76ers pick him up. It's the same thing what they did last year with Noel. Yeah. Um, you know, Anthony may be out the entire season, or at least a good portion of it. I mean, more than half it looks like, mm-hmm. at least. Um. I think he's too much of a gamble to take in the top four, the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see a team such as the Hornets at nine. I thought they got Charlotte. Um, yeah. yeah, or, you know, a team that has enough depth right now where they have a young nucleus, they could bring him along slowly. But, you know, I, don't, I just don't think that you can bring along somebody slowly in the top four or five picks. I mean, that's the same thing that happened with Bennett, the, you know, this past year. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, it, and I'm, I'm, and the only reason I think Charlotte, I think Charlotte's probably a place for him. I just think, you know, Michael might be like, I, I've had too many bad draft picks, <laughs> you know, or I have a history around it. I don't know. The only thing that might scare him away is that he just doesn't want to have a bad draft pick. You know, if he pans out, then it's a steal. Right, but but I think you're right. He he might be the right place for him. Um, Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that, you know, people talk a lot about their training staff. So <laughs> and they, Grant they can Hill. breathe life yeah. back in. Yeah, and Grant Hill. I mean, they they got some stuff going down there. They're doing some. Holy water or some down there in Phoenix. They might they might mess around and just just make it make it happen. Um uh and they so they I mean, so you know, he could end up in a place like that. I think you're right, Philly Philly can't afford to have a miss. They gotta get something solid uh, with it. So yeah, you could have Aaron Rodgers. He's probably smart not to um you know, I think the only other team that's up there in five that could get away with it, because they got the organizational culture. They really believe in is Utah, because you know, you know, they're kind of like a, a, a poor person's version of the of the Spurs. They just don't care what other people think. So they, you know, I think they got some solid parts already uh, that just need to grow. And if they feel like they can, you know, wait for him to grow in, he's not going to start anyway. But if he's going to contribute minutes, and they're making a run for his playoffs. And you had a young player like that that can help your second unit, and you can let him heal the right way. I mean, Utah. I mean, they just got a different makeup as an organization. They're not going to get caught up in the in the whole thing. So that's going to be interesting. If you think, if you were to think about kind of beyond the lottery, you know, some of the things I'm just I'm going to I've been looking at some of these you know prospects beyond the lottery that I think could have some interesting impact on. Just could be you know. Um, it could affect. So, you know, if you think Lowry leaves Toronto, then you, you have, they're projecting on some place like Napier might be a, a pick for Toronto if Lowry leaves. You know, Napier in Toronto, given what Toronto's done, uh, could be interesting. Napier, in, Napier in that in that space where you know, you know anywhere from you know Chicago. Where it might be protecting a point guard to help out to down. I mean, Chicago's got two picks. 
um, that projected Adrian Payne, might, but that Napier, Adrian Payne, Glenn Robinson III, if Glenn Robinson III is projecting going to Oklahoma City, that would change how they play. In some ways, they get some of that with some of the young pieces they have um, coming back. Um, they get they might get a hardened effect or even, um, you know, um, if you take away a Hardaway, what Hardaway did in New York, he had a positive effect, on the, you know, yeah. in New York in terms of his play. But you had a guy like this that's, you know, that's, you know, 6'6", six, six, small forward, you know, can, can defend, get up and down the court. I mean, he adds a whole different element to an OKC uh, team if they if they break him up. You know, as you start to look down in, in terms of some of those picks, and I think there's some value picks down there, who are some people that jump out for you? Well, um, Doug McDermott is a guy who – I love Doug, yeah. If you look at the mock drafts, some people have him going – you know, in the mid-lottery, 7-8, all the way down to the late first round. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a guy, if you can get <laughs> – if he's around at 15, I think every team below should be taking him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every team. You know, mm-hmm. basketball is so different. Yeah. And I think this is why the mm-hmm. mass, like the NBA draft does not have the energy and the excitement that we normally see with the NFL draft. Because mm-hmm. the NFL draft, you know, you typically don't see teams stacking up, taking the same a guy in the first round where they already have an established player. Unless, of yeah. course, we're talking about the Detroit Lions in the, you know, a decade ago where they just took any wide receiver. But I digress. Um, so in basketball, you take the best player available normally, mm-hmm. unless unless you have a huge, huge need. Mm-hmm. So the first 10 picks, you typically take the best player available. And so if you end up with two good point guards, that's what you do, and you can play them together. You know, yeah. different rotations. Basketball is a sport that lends itself to that. Mm-hmm. So I think the downside of that is we have a little bit less energy and excitement than with the NFL draft. You're not going to see the Patriots take another quarterback in the first round when they have Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it happens sometimes, but in general you just don't see that. Doug McGurk. Well, talk about Doug. Well, here's a guy that averaged 27 points a game in college. <laughs> senior year. You think he's got the Morrison effect? I think he's a different player than Morrison, huh. but I think people start thinking about him like Morrison was great in college. But I think I think he has a much stronger post game. I think he's a I feel like he's a better rebounder. Um, I don't. I can't remember how tall Morrison was. I think they're probably in the same range. But he just seems like a mm-hmm. different. He has a more complete inside outside game than Morrison had. But yeah. Do you think that's – Because I mean, the way you you played at fourteen. I mean, think about. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, but I'll go back to you. I'm just jumping at the Morrison effect. Is that part of it? I don't think so. I mean, maybe for the lay fan, but I think that NBA scouts and personnel are smart enough to know that. One of the few things that Adam Morrison and uh, McDermott have in common is that they're white mm-hmm. and they were excellent college players. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I don't see a lot of similarities with their games. You know, right. with somebody like McDermott, I think more of somebody in the mold of 
Hmm. Um, I want to say Pierce. like a left. Yeah, somewhere like him. I mean, Pierce didn't have. That's what I think about him like a Paul Pierce. Yeah, I mean, Pierce didn't have a platform to just you know take as many shots as McDermott had and thirty you know twenty five thirty points a game because Pierce had a lot more talent around him. You yeah. know, back then were LaFrance and uh, some of those guys that were there. But but yeah, Paul Pierce has a game that he's athletic, but he's not overly athletic like normal mm-hmm. guys with that kind of skill level. But he finds a way to make it happen. And McDermott's a guy that, um, like you said, he's a good rebounder. He's a guy I think in the in the NBA you can play at a four. You mm-hmm. know, I think he's six eight, six nine. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. That's big enough for him to be a stretch four. He can play a three all day, and I think he's going to come in being able to get to the basket, to just do a lot of things. I mean, when you score 27 points a game in college where teams can zone you, where they can be in the paint, I mean, he didn't have a lot of room to operate, and he didn't have a whole mm-hmm. lot around him. And the, mm-hmm. the more spread NBA game where guys just can't sit in the paint and he's going to be able to post more, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy averages 15 points a game coming out the gate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tell you right mm-hmm. now, if he will, fantasy basketball, he, he he might be the first rookie I'm trying to draft. Mm-hmm. There's a couple people that I like. Um, uh, uh, Alfred uh, Payton. Um, I watched mm-hmm. this kid play Louisiana Lafayette. The Afro kills you. But the cat has control of the game. He's a, a great defender. I don't know how I turned the channel and was watching him. Uh, but uh, it was one of those days where you just – I was he was play, playing someone. I was I was like, this kid can play. Um, and they're projecting he might go to Chicago. Uh, I like I like his – I like the style that he has that um, – and if he goes to Chicago and, you know, they get some work in the free agency, you know, you had have, you have a guard that's 6'3", 6'4", that can handle and defend, give you some offense. Um, you know, it might allow you to play Rose off the ball, kind of like I've been, you know, um, uh, uh, pushing for a, a, a young man over there in uh, Oak Cave City uh, to do more of. Um, and so uh, I, I like that. The other thing that if they get, they're projecting, you know, Chicago's got a number of picks. If they, if they get like Adrian Payne, if they project, Adrian Payne over Chicago with Noah, that was. <laughs> It's funny because Isaiah Post recently said Chicago the closest thing to the bad boys in the current league. You had Adrian Payne with Noah. To me, that's beast mode. I mean, Adrian Payne can space the floor. He's physical. He comes with that, you know, that uh, that that kind of Spartan tradition of being physical and, and banging. So you know, he play defense and coach, but he he has, you know, I think. The way they're projecting, that's a steal. I just think he's going to be a good, good pro um, uh, when you look at it. So there's going to be a lot of interesting kind of things coming out in this draft. And, then, you know, I, you know, we, uh, we're we going to be having a classic show next week because, you know, we all got to – we're real sports guys. That means we got families and wives that got expectations. Uh, and so y'all know that. Y'all been following us. But when we come back in a couple of weeks, we're definitely going to be talking about this free agency and this in this draft that's going on. But this draft, I think, is going to be really interesting, particularly with some of the injuries that have happened here recently and affecting the draft. Um, 
we're gonna have a lot of fun with kind of figuring out, you know, where where this is gonna go. But some of this draft stuff is gonna be predicated on how it's leveraged for free agency. Yeah. And that's what becomes really interesting. You know, we got Carmelo opting out. <laughs> Melo's just like, hey, 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 y'all. Melo's <laughs> <laughs> been saying out. that Lala, all Lala, Kobe, we got the opt-out. <laughs> <laughs> Lala said we got the opt-out. I didn't want to opt-out. <laughs> Lala. There's a lot of storylines, man. LeBron James, we all know the king got the opt-out. But he not, you know, but what I loved about the difference about it, you, who, how'd you hear about it? You heard about it from his lawyer. <laughs> That's some old Michael George stuff. Michael George's attorney just say he said he's going to opt out. Said the fact. <laughs> he learned. See, this was maturity. He's 30 now. See, you get his lawyer telling you now. He didn't even tweet it. You know, he took some out of Phil, Phil T. Paybook, playbook. He didn't even hit it up on Twitter. He didn't find it from Twitter or Facebook. He let his lawyers call and tell him. You know what I'm saying? He's going low-tech low with y'all now. What's he going to say now? <laughs> so we got LeBron opting out. Uh, I love it. You know, I love it. Chris Bosh uh, is, is uh, I didn't hear much. I've been having in mind, but probably early then. Then D Wade becomes it. So we got we got some unrestricted free agents here. Oh, did well. Chris Bosch opt out too? I don't know. I, well, I, I I haven't heard anything. I, the, the, the the key I'm seeing the latest rumors, and that's why I said you know we we I t- did I tell you I said we're gonna let this thing marinate right now because uh, uh, I hear the latest rumors. Uh, I'm trying to check some things. Um, has it? Uh, the termination option. He got one, but he hasn't he hasn't done anything with it. So right. but the sense is that he will opt. My sense. Um, the only question mark is D Wade, and we're gonna come back and talk about some of these other ones. Let's spend some time on D Wade. I, I describe when we set the show up is is he the new, is he basketball versus right now G money? You remember seeing it on top of the roof, right? <laughs> when he was talking to Nino, so Nino had to do something with him. You know, at that point, New Jack Money City. thought, huh? New Jack City, for those that don't know what the heck we're Jack talking City. about. It's New Jack City. I'm, so, I'm, I'm making assumptions. See, this is what Phil T keeps me going. What brought them to that moment was this sense that G Money felt like he thought he was an equal. And it was at that moment he realized when he talked to Nino that there wasn't an equal. There was only one king. There was only one king of the Carter. And there was a time, and I was talking off the air with Phil about this, is that there was a time when I was watching the playoffs, right before the elimination, there was a couple things I noticed. Last year when they had these press conferences, the big three for the most part was at the – on the dance. This year, I noticed Chris Bosh is doing a lot of these interviews from his locker. But then you got LeBron and you got Wade up there, and it was towards the end of the Spurs series. I looked at Wade, and all the questions were going to LeBron, even after when it was over. And I, it was almost in his face he realized that he had shrunk. It was no longer it was this cold thing. He was the G money of the group. 
And then now we coming up on this, he can opt out. Is he going to be like D-Money and just do his own thing? Is he going to start messing with the product? <laughs> is he going to start just saying, I don't care? Is he going to not opt out? Is he going to just say, look, this is my last this to get the money? And yeah, it would be nice to win, but I'm not leaving this money on the table. I don't trust y'all. It felt like for the first time I saw something in Wade that says, y'all don't see me here? I don't know if you saw that, Phil. <laughs> but, you know, well, now LeBron is not going to take out something, in, you know, in, 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 in shooting. But LeBron might have done that by opting out. He might be serious. So tell me, tell me, am I reading too much into it? Um, I noticed that a little bit, a little bit um, last, like in the playoffs, where it seemed like the first few seasons, you typically always always saw the big three, you know, answering questions from the press, you know, in terms of the team, you know, the the uh, the press conferences after the game. I I just. I think it's a bit awkward. It is because it was D-Wade's team, and then, you know, during the second season, D-Wade in every interview, he made a point of saying now it's LeBron's team, LeBron's the best player in the world. And then you got Chris Bosh, who um, never really fit in with the big three in terms of, like, you always knew he was third, but then his game at times, he went away, you know, in in this postseason at times. So, you know, so Pat Riley is a guy that burns me up. But let me just say that his press conference rubbed me the wrong way. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. And and there are a few things that I agreed with what he said. He said people need to chill out. They need to get a grip. The Heat did something that I don't think has been done since the Celtics in the '80s did it. They went to four straight conf- like they won their conference four straight years. And they won two championships. I don't see this past year as a as a just as a failure. I don't disappointment maybe, but not a failure. I don't see this whole big big three era as a failure. So I'm with Riles there. What I don't like is how he's going to call out LeBron and it, Michael Smith, the guy from um, I think it's Inside the Numbers or, or Numbers mm-hmm. Don't Lie on ESPN. He was, he was on either Mike and Mike or you know I I think it was Mike and Mike earlier this week, and he he made a couple of really good points that I agree with. Riley's talking about don't take the first door out. That's how you got LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you got LeBron. You know LeBron thinking I have no problem with LeBron leaving Cleveland. I have no problem with that. The way he left, yes, but I'm over that. I'm over. He apologized. We've moved on. But Riley, to me, right now, and and I love this four years ago in the summer when Stoudemire and all these guys took control of the free agent process, the the players have a lot of power. And Riley Mm -hmm. is from the old school NBA. You look at NBA free agency, NBA free agency is is relatively new. I have to look it up, but I think this this happened in the '80s. Okay, mm-hmm. so Riley came up in a in an era where 
whoever you got drafted by, chances are that's who you're going to stick with your career unless you get cut. Mm-hmm. And LeBron James, he has so much power right now, and I like the move of opting out. He is pretty much making accountable. He's making Riley accountable. Okay, yeah. let's see what you got, Riles. Okay, I'm I'm willing to take this much less money. Um, I'm willing to do this, but you need to figure out what you're going to put around me and what yeah. commitments, verbal commitments do you have from players. And chances are I'll come back, but if you don't put your best foot forward, there is a chance I will go somewhere else. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. And when Riles comes out and makes all these statements saying, you know, you got to have heart, you got to stick with it. If you got guts, you're going to stay with the heat. Whatever, man. They have to do what's best for their career. And guess mm-hmm. what? We're never going to hold LeBron James in the same light as Michael Jordan. People will yeah. always find reasons not to like him. Well, he won five championships, but he won it with three different franchises. Or he had to go to three different franchises to do it. Yeah. Whatever. It's 2014. It is. People are winning different ways, and they're doing things different. Uh, Bill Russell, he would have – think of how opinionated – Bill Russell was during the 60s and the 70s. Think of how socially conscious he was. Think of what such a big voice he was in terms of injustices that was going on in our country back then. Do you think if free agency wasn't around, Bill Russell wouldn't have told the Celtics in no uncertain terms to stick it, I'm going to go because I have a better deal somewhere else? He would have. He would have if things weren't up like on the up and up with the Celtics. He would have. He clearly would have. That happened right. with Kareem, happened with Oscar Robinson. They That's all right. Won. That's right. That's right. And for some reason, we just don't – I say we, not truly because I'm a huge LeBron James fan, but in general, we want to find ways to criticize the young man. And honestly, I think he's he is trailblazing a whole new – world, that when he has his 30 for 30 moment, to use your word, D, you know, mm-hmm. in 2020 or 25, whenever it comes out, we're going to see some of the things that he did as a trailblazer, you know, in terms of owning soccer teams while he's playing, um, in mm-hmm. terms of just taking control of the free agent market and understanding his value, understanding his leverage, mm-hmm. and really making everything else in the NBA respond to him and his decisions. To me, this is going to rewrite the history of the league in terms of players understanding their value. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would say, you know, especially this year when, you know, we're not going to go too deep in it, the way they flex around Sterling stuff. And, you know, people talk about it was all about corporate America, but the reason why corporate America reacted is because these players are now CEOs. They go to the parties and they host things that CEO. There's not a big distance between them and the CEO of Oracle. <laughs> they will end up in the same parties with them in a way that would, didn't happen in the 70s and the 80s in the same level. Now, maybe socially, but they also are doing business deals. You're right. I mean, the, in LeBron, on top of that, you know, the game is the game is changing, and you know. The, Arguably the best player in the history. You know, you have Jordan there, but Will Chamberlain played for the Warriors, played for Philadelphia, and the Lakers. He probably played for you know, and the Globetrotters. When we think about him in history, we don't think about him any differently. 
right? He had one of some of the greatest teams in terms of wins with the Philly team, right? Then he played for the Lakers. So, you know, he had these different phases in his career, and maybe LeBron will be more like Wilt, but winning championships, yeah. right? So, you know, I'm, you know, as more and more I thought about this, you know, we've had a number of players. I mean, you and I are from Michigan. I love Bob Lanier. You know, he's not a He's not seen as these Hall of Fame type of person, but he was top 100. You know, he was in Detroit and had a second career in Milwaukee. You know, many people might just know him as a buck, but he was with the Pistons. You know, so it's not uncommon for great players to end up in different, you know, opportunities. You know, Robert Parrish, I think, was with Golden State and then and finished up with Boston and won on for his career in Boston. So, you know, we, these things happen all the time. Um, and, you know, we just, we've come to, you know, uh, look at LeBron and measure him on an entirely different thing. But then we got Melo. We call him Smooth Attitude. We call him, he's the man that kind of flies on the radar. But as LeBron and the big three have gained momentum, it put a little pressure on on, on, on Melo. He's a little bit more aggressive. He thought his Zen master would be able to corral him in and convince him and say, follow me, young man. Well, you know, Melo, Melo's like, I can't do it like that. I got to go check out Chi-Town. I'm not confident in what you can do. I'm confident how you can coach. I'm not confident how you Where can Where do you think he's going to end up? I think, I think he might end up in Chicago. I think Chicago... And part of it is, you know, these are package deals now. So, you know, he has a he has a, a wife that's an entertainer. So he can't just end up anywhere. So there's three cities I think he can end up with in terms of chances to win, but also these, these guys think about the entire operation of their brand. If he's not going to be in New York, is Miami, Chicago, or L.A. Houston is possibility, but I think, you know, I think where Houston may not work for him is that I think that might be more of the issue around his his wife and her career. I think Chicago, she can get from Chicago to L.A., Chicago to New York. Chicago's a big city. She can do some things in Chicago. So I, I think people discount that piece with her that, you know, as much as she won't say it, I think that was a thriving decision around leaving Denver as well. So I think that's how it's going. I think Chicago, if he really wants to win, um, I think Chicago is a place to go. Just because it's a place that will hold him accountable for what he needs to do, but it's also a place that needs what he does best. And they're close to winning, and they got a championship structure, you know, with Noah and folks like that. I think Chicago is the best place. The the place other than that that I think would be great for his career because they – they remake you as a star and, and can put you on Mount Rushmore is L.A. It just, he goes there, you know, he can help Kobe with a career, and then he can lead it after Kobe's gone. And they have the ability to put pieces around him. You know, if, if, uh, I didn't see what's happening over there, but Byron Scott gets the job. Byron's close to the finals. You know, Byron's got a good relationship with Kobe. I think there's very few coaches that can manage Kobe late in his career. Byron might be one of them. Uh, probably it is because he was a Laker. Um, so I, I think I think those three cities are the possibilities. I think Miami is the least possibility because I think that takes that takes more of a hit after seeing what he's seeing with Wade. 
I wouldn't necessarily go to Miami because I think that hurts his, his legacy more going to Miami. If he goes to Chicago, help Chicago win, I think, you know, that would be still good for him. Or if he goes to L.A. What do you think? Um, <laughs> Carmelo's a guy that just does not excite me. He and, – and I could be wrong. I mean, this guy has the offensive skills of a George Gervin, of a Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was – you know, whenever the Olympics come or the World Basketball Championships come, we see his genius of being able to make open shots, being able to create yeah. shots, and being able just to fit in. Um, but when it comes to the NBA, he's never been in a situation where he's been able to – just be a guy who makes open shots, who kind of mm-hmm. goes in the flow of the offense. We've asked him to do too much, I think. And um, if he does decide to to play with other stars, I hope he adapts to that same attitude he, he adapts to international play. When he's playing with mm-hmm. Kobe, playing with LeBron, playing with Durant, that he understands that the offense won't go through him but these other players are so unselfish, he's going to probably lead the team in scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's not going to have the opportunity to, to just dribble the air out of the ball like he had to do in Denver and in New York. Mm-hmm. With, with that being said, man, I just don't – I it, and maybe I'm not giving him a good shake, uh, like a fair shake, but defensively he scares me. And mm-hmm. – He's not aggressive enough on the boards either for me. So I, well, he he picked it up this past year. He did. He did. He did. And so maybe that's that's an unfair but criticism. My one thing about Melo is he plays better when he plays with better players. That's what I always say. I always use his USA experience. All the stuff people say about Melo, that goes away when he plays on USA team. He's playing on both ends of the court. He's sharing the ball. He emerges as one of the elite players on the team. People look to him. And so it tells me that if he played, let's say, in Chicago, he would rise to the – I think he would rise to the challenge of that group. That, you know, because sometimes we like to build him as, like, some of the other folks we've seen that have been similar. I mean, you put the Adrian Dantley in that mode, right, um, Mark McGuire, right? I mean, you think about the, you know, those are some folks who could always put the ball in the basket, but you question their commitment on either end or you question their commitment when they weren't involved in the game. So if the offense went away from them, where are they going to be as engaged? One thing I've noticed about him is that he's never had a problem playing with other stars. He's had a problem playing with cats who – that's probably part of his leadership piece where he's had to kind of pull them all the way up. And he hasn't had coaches who demanded that of him. I don't think George Carl demanded that of him. Um, I just don't think he did. And I don't think in New York they demanded of him. But I think coaches who he played for, Coach K, other coaches who have demanded of him, he's played it. So yeah. I, I just – I think he's an interesting person in that way where – all the things we say about we've seen with other players might hold true. For him, I think he's just gonna. I think he's gonna. You're gonna see a different side of him if you can get him around the right culture. I think if he goes to LA around Kobe, I think 
I think he rises to that because I've watched him in settings like that when push people pushed him to do it. He did it. So yeah, that's the only thing I say about Melo that it's, it's going to be interesting. And so I think he's got to leave New York. Not that I don't think he would respect D. Fish. I just don't think if he's going to be. I think he needs another person coming with him. I think man, Melo is not come back, He had Noah. That'd be good, huh? Melo does that? not excite me. I mean, he like he just does not get me excited at all. He does. I mean, he he does not do it for me. He doesn't. Melo reminds me of a young George Gervin, a guy who's gonna get his shot and score. I just. But the ice man excited me. He say he doesn't. You say he doesn't even excite you. He'll give you a twitch. He'll give you no feeling. Your toes don't tingle. Nothing. Listen, man. If he couldn't make it work with a Stoudemire. He couldn't make it work with what they had in New York, at least when he first got to New York. I just don't know if he's going to make it work unless it's very clear that he's going to be the second or third dog. And I just don't know if you can ask a guy, give him max money, and tell Carmelo we need for you to be second dog. That's why I, I just think don't Chicago know how works. Chicago, work. I don't think he's second dog. Chicago with. What we don't know about Rose, and also the way Rose's personality is, he can be first dog in Chicago, and Rose is not going to have an attitude with that. He's coming back. I think that's why Chicago. D Wills. D Wills. I want winners. That's what it's about, <laughs> man. I want winners. And he, he won in college. There's not enough. There's yeah, he did win in college. And, and he has, he's been almost every year. He's been in the pros, right? He hasn't had right. any losing seasons. I mean, people, I mean, if you look at it, how many stars, I mean, people are tripping over themselves for Kevin Love. And Melo's done more with his teams than Love's ever done, but he gets none of the Melo treatment. This is what I say with 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 Carmelo. He is not a complimentary okay. player. Okay. He's not. He is not a complimentary player. And I think the game has shifted. I mean, look at what LeBron is doing. Look what the big three is mm-hmm. doing there's there's this new culture of taking less to do better. Mm-hmm. There's this new culture of I want to win, so I'm going to team up with other good players. And to me that speaks to a level of unselfishness. Mm. I don't see that in Melo's game where he can be a complimentary player. And to your point, he hasn't had enough around him for that effort for, for us to know if he'd be open to that or not. But to mm-hmm. me... And, again, I mean, I never want to stand back and say people should take less money, but to me, if he steps into a situation like Chicago or wherever he goes and he takes less money so that he can play with a Noah, he can play with a Rose, he can play with, you know, other stars around him, to me that would be um, a big step. It would Mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. Well, it's going to be – I mean, you hitting on some stuff. You said it doesn't. He don't even excite you. I'm like, nah, what he, are the he strong words? Nah, he doesn't get me excited at all, man. That was strong words from Phil T. I mean, it's. I would say that yeah, that's a that's a that's a stinging. <laughs> for someone that I think is a pretty compassionate person, for him to not even give you a twin, mellow. You got some work to do, man. Don't blame him. Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. <laughs> I mean, that's just stinging me. 
So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you got a role. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm seeing you like Benny right now, man. I want to think outside the box with this. If you Chris Bosh, mm. you his boy. Mm. He probably said, "Still, man." <laughs> you know, I met you when I was in Cleveland, talking with LeBron. We hung out. Really like you. So that kind of person I can talk to. You. What a shit out that voice. <laughs> I mean, is that, is that your Chris Bosh voice? That's my first point. That's about as good as I can do. That's about as good as I can do right now. What, what, what are you telling, man? Because I feel like everybody's talking about Wade, but I felt like at the end of the day, he might have sacrificed the most and still got the most in the tank. But he was just willing to be a team player and has been judged for that in a way that I think is unfair because you know, uh, he just is intellectually at a point where he understood, you know, I don't care about legacy. I just, this helps to win. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to diminish me. And I just feel like he's been unfairly characterized. Well, so if he comes to if, you, he's like, what do I do? Well, if Chris Bosch left us a message on realsportsguys.com and he asked me my advice, I would tell the young man that what he's doing is working out just fine. Chris Bosch knows that he could be a James Harden. He could go to Houston. He could go to another place. He could put up big numbers like he did in Toronto. I, I have no doubt that he can still do that. He can still do that for another couple of years. But his impact and his legacy is going to be in the number of championships he wins. Mm-hmm. And so, honestly, Chris, you just figure out what the other two guys are going to do. They're going to opt out. They're going to opt in. And you, and, and you just tell them, like he's already said, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'll play for free, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Chris Bosch has the right attitude. Mm-hmm. And from a strategic standpoint, you know, and Riley called out the coaching staff too, that they're gonna have to reinvent how they how they get everybody involved and how they work as a team. And that's gonna be Eric Spolter's responsibility. So I think that Bosch has been underutilized, but to his credit he has not complained about it. He has done his best defensively. He's guarding – he's playing out of position quite a bit, you know, guarding centers when he's clearly not a center. And I think Bosch, especially if LeBron stays with the Heat, I think Bosch is fine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think he's fine. And I don't think Chris Bosch is the reason that they didn't win this year. I just don't. Well, and, and I think, um, I mean, I think you hit on a, a really interesting thing that, um, you know, I, I think that um, one of the things they have to look at doing, I think Riley's got it, is that I think I would also say, Bosch, if you're going back, you got to put some weight on, you got to get closer to who. You got to get back to going to free throw line at least eight to nine times a game. You know, when they get into these tough ruts, you got to be in a position to, to get your free throws going.
All right, all right, we're back. And uh, we're talking about some uh, NBA talk. This is uh, Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, brought to you by On The Rocks, Resistance Digital Solutions, Frederick's Accounting, and Excel Academics. We, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. We are in the mix. We got my guy, Phil T, has got it going hard in the paint. But uh, we're going to pay some bills here real quick and come back with our Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Now we're going to get into our Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. All right, we got our dog of the week. Phil, you know how we do it. We need more dogs. My dog of the week is Isaiah Austin, young man who, basketball player at Baylor. Um, he had entered the draft this year, and uh, he learned that he has this career-ending medical condition that came through on a physical a few days ago. Um, so he will have to discontinue his basketball career. Uh, just just a sad story. Um, I don't remember the the syndrome that he had, but it's you know it's something uh, that's uh, that's bad. So he'll have to stop playing basketball. So anyway, my dog of the week is Isaiah Austin. I really enjoy watching the young man play. Um, seven footer who can stroke it from the outside. I, I think that he he would have been a great fit in the NBA, but you know it wasn't for him. So uh, best of luck best of luck to the young man. That's a that's a great one, and um, you know, um, you know, I think he had a shot uh, to help out somewhere in the league, and you know, it sounds like he's going to go into coaching and finish up and do some other things. But it's just an unfortunate break for him um, that he has it. So you know, how we got to do it. We need more dogs. My dog of the week is someone that's kind of been forgotten, but was a young phenom. That time we talk about young phenoms, it's Michelle Wee. She won her first major this weekend, and it was almost, I forgot, she was, she's 24 years old. It's like she came on the scene at, what, 13, um, and just stuck with it. I remember she had that uh, little stream when she was looking at jumping into the PGA, and try, she tried there, and, you know, and really had to deal with a lot of, you know, cattiness within, you know, the LB, LPGA because of the notoriety she was getting because, and not having won a major, and, you know, knowing she's this young, she's 24 years old and won her first major, she can go on a run, has all the skills and tools, but to finally kind of stick to it um, and get it, I think it was just a great moment uh, for her. So that's the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Check out our guy, LR. Go to realsportsguys.com. Just click on the uh, uh, Resistance Digital um, symbol there, and it'll take you right to the page. You can call LR. He's an incredible service, and, Things done and a major sponsor from the beginning, so we definitely enjoy supporting him. And 
um, you know, our dog of the weeks are a great opportunity for us to share. If you're a new listener, you know, some someone just just kind of uh, inspired us over the past week. Had a great accomplishment. Did something. Sometimes it's a player. Sometimes it's uh, an owner that does something. But somebody related to sports that we have uh, identified. This is a segment, you know. I want winners. Down a little bit around the winners. It's just you know, there's certain things that kind of happen in the kind of the world of sports and news and just other things that have kind of bubbled up uh, over time. It, I want to sit you in Cleveland, Phil. He's on the Frederick's Accounting Gateway. Um, we took a lot of people over at Frederick's Accounting, give them a call, let them know the real sports guy <laughs> sent you. Um, you know, Manziel. Mm. We got some a guy Hayden try to give him a little bit of advice. Is this much to do about nothing? I mean, the kid seems like he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing in practice. Seems like he's executing. Seems like he's doing everybody all up in his Kool Aid. Like, <laughs> Johnny football. Johnny football, man. Just he seems like he kinda of work every day. That's what he's supposed to do. Why they all up in his Kool Aid like that? The city of Cleveland is so excited that he's here. The Browns fans have just had it really, really difficult, really, really tough. And there's a level of optimism and hope with Johnny football around. And I don't know what the Browns are going to do, if they're going to start him starting the season, you know, or if he's going to come in and play after a few weeks. I don't know. But to me, I'm with you. It's a, it's a bunch about nothing. I mean, what this young man accomplished in college football, he was fun to watch, man. I mean, he was mm-hmm. fun to watch, especially, you know, I mean, even this current season where his team didn't do as well as they did in the 2012 season, he has a certain it factor that I'm hoping that mm-hmm. translates into the NFL. So I, I'm i not worried about him. And I think given all the potential drama that could have happened, um, the, you know, stuff that's coming out in the media reports, is nothing to worry about. I don't think so. It's funny. It's probably a good thing that he's friends with LeBron because they get the same kind of criticism. They can share notes. Like LeBron, like, this is what they're going to do. And he start Eddie in Cleveland. There's, like, too many similarities. <laughs> I mean, you go into Walmart, man. Like, you go into Walmart and <laughs> you walk in and, and in the clothing section, it's probably 100 T-shirts of him doing his little money, you know, rubbing the fingers together. <laughs> And they're making that money off of that stuff. It's just, it's just ridiculous the way that they uh, they uh, they definitely um, just get on him about you know what what's going on. He's it's just he's just an interesting guy. It's like every once in a while, it kind of flares his ugly head. You know, he kind of he like wow. I mean, so hate's got something to say. And like, um, come on now, it's mini camp. You know, you feel like you're working hard. You know, the problem is y'all giving it too much attention. The other thing that happened, man. man what, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please. No, no what were you going to say? You, you had a point here, man. You've been out all night. Who am I to take the ball out of your hand? I was going to say, Texas uh, A&M going to miss him. Oh, they They're going to miss him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I, all I have I don't, to say. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see you know, how they replace him and recruit because 
this is where you you know whether or not the program's back for real. You know, they've been trying to rebuild Texas A&M back those days when we were growing up a little bit, the wrecking crew. I mean, Texas A&M was a place to play a team you just didn't want to play. Um, and, you know, they've been rebuilding that in a different way now. And this is where you're going to see how sustainable this run is um, with him leaving. So, yeah, they definitely going to miss uh, him. And also, you know, on, you know, on top of that, you know, just the revenue he brought in because of who he was um, is, uh, is important. What do you think about this story? So, I guess I'm, we're going to stay in Cleveland. Man, this is a Cleveland show because you, your coach is also clowning. He done started a storm. <laughs> I know you're not a Cleveland Browns fan, but it just seems like Cleveland's like the epicenter of it's like New York City now. Um, people passing playbooks at weddings and getting on coaches. What's going on out there? It's like a CSI. I thought it was like a person of interest where they were talking about what happened. It's like, you know, Belichick is like the new, uh, uh, you know, it's like he's got a secret. He's like Jagger Hoover, you know, Cointel Pro. Refresh the listeners. Refresh the listeners of the story that you are speaking of. So there, there was a story that um, not, was it was it Wes Welker's wedding or someone's wedding around that, but there was a story that somehow the Jets playbook got into the hands of the Patriots, and this exchange it, it sounded like might have happened at a wedding that folks were at. And part of the criticism that came out of, you know, the head coach in Cleveland who was on Rex's staff is that Rex was pretty free-willing with the playbook. But, you know, most people who know the coaching circles around this time of year, most of these coaches are out doing clinics and they're very open with sharing what they do, their schemes, and they're leading with college coaches, high school coaches, teaching. And obviously somebody like Rex, he was a defensive genius. Is going to get a lot of folks who are trying to figure out what he's doing defensively or going. And somehow this ended up in the Patriots' hands. Like, what doesn't end up in the Patriots' hands? Like, it's like if Belichick wanted it, like I said, he's like Jerry Hoover. He would probably figure out how to get it. So, so, so now that you know, so then you know, the Cleveland coach is like, you know, I didn't mean to say it like that, but just trying to make a point. So he's out in the media too much. They talk, they talk about Manziel. It's like the coach, he out there too much. You need to co- focus on the coach, not not Manziel. He, he's taking pictures, but he ain't saying nothing. So, you know, and then here's Belichick in the news again. Belichick in the news again. You know about doing something that seems to be calculated and whatever. Now we're taking a, 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 a an occasion like a wedding that's supposed to be festive and everything else, and now we got to exchange. Like it's like you know, like we're you know the wire, or you know we're we're uh, we're, we're uh, La Femme Nikita, you know, uh, uh, happening here. So you know, I don't know what to make of it, man. But I know this buzzing on your in your end of your neck of the woods. I think I captured the story. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, shenanigans. Shenanigans, as the game changer would say. Shout out to my man Marcus, the game changer. Uh, we'll have him back in a few weeks, but uh, I'll just say shenanigans. <laughs> Is there anything in the news that you noticed that kind of evolved? Is something that we haven't covered? Any interest story or Clayton, things that you're thinking about in the future? Clayton Kershaw threw a mm. no hitter uh, last week and. 
he is really developing into something really, really special. And it was exciting. I had my uh, good friend, um, Trey, had texted me, and I watched the last four innings of that game. And it was just exciting to see him mow down the hitters. And the the guy that does the play-by-play for the Dodgers, he's been doing it for years. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, my man, he has called approximately 10% of all the no-hitters mm-hmm. that have ever happened mm-hmm. <laughs> in Major League Baseball. <laughs> and to me, it took me back to the days of listening to the Tigers in the backyard when, you know, I'm I'm 8, 10 years old, cutting the grass, raking up the leaves, and you hear a LK line. And yep. who was his partner, D. Williams? Oh, uh, oh, my goodness. I can't believe – I know it's K-Line and I'm, I'm going to draw a blank. I cannot believe I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Ernie Harwell. Ernie Harwell. Yeah, Ernie Harwell, yes. <laughs> yeah. And we need, we need a guy it, got to the point, it got to the point where I didn't even want to watch the game. I turned on the TV in the living room, went in my office, and just, you know, like I wanted that radio feel. And it, mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. No, no hitters are so uh, infrequent. I mean, it was kind of cool to see Kershaw, the top pitcher in the league right now, do his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, baseball is, you know, uh, been picking up here lately a lot, a lot of good stuff, and, you know, we're going to hit a lot more baseball here coming up uh, here uh, uh, soon uh, to try to you know, capture some of this stuff. You know, it's been a, a great night. I mean, we get this uh, this uh, NBA talk. You know, we 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 discovered how Phil T really feels about Carmelo in a way that <laughs> yeah, might even surprise the game changer if he hears this. One. I mean, it's just it's, it's it's like he's not even moving away from that point. Um, got me re- I mean, got me rethinking my my attitude towards Melo. <laughs> it was so clearly. Articulated <laughs> and definitive to, to the point. You know, we see in the draft, you guys, uh, it's going to be a great draft um, in terms of, you know, what the future league is going to look like. And, you know, this is a GM's draft. I think there's some talent there, but I think when you start looking beyond 14 into some of those picks, I think people are going to make their money. You know, if Queen Anthony early goes to. Miami, I mean, I think that's kind of like a Kawhi Leonard type guy, young guy who can who can play and is tough that can you can expand his game. That might be the answer to Kawhi Leonard for them. Um, so a lot of good things. Come on, keep an eye on it. Hit us up on Twitter, realsportsguys.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. I'm at RSGD Wills. Um, check me out. Follow me on Twitter, um, and uh, we can keep this conversation going. Anything else, Phil? Good night. God bless. That's it. The man of few words. get to this airport going to San Francisco. So I gotta 
get myself wrapped up. Are you still there? Hello. Um, Villanova's on my list of don't trust them teams. Um, Duke is always Duke has a permanent spot on my don't trust them <laughs> list. That's right. <laughs> they're never they're never gonna be, get a reprieve um, just because I'm never trusting them again. Um, I tried that a couple years ago. It did not work out. Um, other teams that are on my don't trust them list, at least for this year's tournament, um, Cincinnati, don't trust them. Um, I don't know about you guys. Those are some teams that I'm staying away from um, on my brackets. Yeah, obviously you are. You've played in the NFL. You're familiar. You played football. You played on both sides of the ball. Provide us with your perspective on this issue. Um, you know, and, and I, I caught the last tell, tell bit of what you guys are talking about, but uh, I do agree with, with what you said. When it, when it comes to a, a person's livelihood, when it comes to, to physically hurt somebody intentionally, uh, I can't agree with that. But interception, big play, uh, something like that, it, it's an incentive among, amongst teams. Like you said, you, you got stickers uh, at, in high school as a – and junior high in the playground, you got the girls' attention. I mean, you got to you got to make plays. And and football, it's a football's a brutal sport. It's a it's a barbarian sport. I mean, when I ran the ball, my job I I wanted to punish you. And if if that meant you know you getting a headache, you something happening to you, you getting hurt, that's part of of what my my job my running style was. Now I wouldn't want anything to happen. After the 60 minutes and and off the, and on the street, but within the lines, you know you got to go out and, and and be that 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 warrior. So it, it's hard to to separate the two. But if you're going to intentionally hurt somebody, I, I can't agree with that. Now you played on some good teams. Did did you have that folks who on, on the defense or whatever that had those kind of competitive things they put with each other? Was that things that on offense you knew? Folks talking I about. mean, yeah, even like as, as kids, I mean, who's the first person to go down on a kickoff? First person, who's the first person to touch the ball carrier? It was it, whatever. Well, back then it might have been you get a donut. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> as a kid, you get instilled with that's part of the game is to go and and we highlight the most physical, the most dangerous, the most meanest competitor we highlight that so That's now right. that it, it, it it's brought to light it's like oh how, how could they but you glorify the big hits and you glorify all this and you want to see that so i mean as, i don't recommend and i'm not with intentionally going to hurt somebody but it's like that's like saying tell michael jordan you can't dunk all game because you you're too good you know i mean that's just he'll, he'll, he'll go and he'll dunk every play if possible but you can't do that so, that's how I look at it. You listen to The Real Sports Guys, where real guys talk real sports. Sponsored by Resistance Digital Solutions. ResistanceDigital.com. RSG.